Hello and welcome to another episode in our series of podcasts supporting the Sustainable Action and Finance series of videos. Today we'll be talking about Reddington's new video, which has already been posted in our sustainability website and is well worth a watch. My name is John Somerville, Head of Financial Services at the London Institute of Banking and Finance, and I'm really pleased today to be hosting this latest recording. Alongside me today are Anastasia Guha, Head of Global Sustainable Investment, and Nick Samuels, Head of Manager Research, both at Reddington's. A warm welcome to you both. Anastasia, how are you this afternoon? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. And Nick, Nick Samuels, how are you this afternoon? Are you, uh, are you well? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. I, I guess really, you know, we're recording this not long after all of our restrictions have been lifted now. And obviously, you know, having had very nearly at the two year anniversary of the very first lockdowns, um, are you returning to the office at the moment? Anastasia, what's, what, what's your work week looking like at the moment? Yeah, so I'm back in the office two times a week and it's, uh, it's, it's requiring more stamina than I expected. Um, <laughs> I don't. I didn't realize how much energy it took to to go into work and talk to people face to face, but um, but you know you realize why you do it because you just learn so much more than you do when you talk to them on video. So um, happy that, to be back. That is great. It's great to hear. And but I, I I have to say I was in London last week and I couldn't agree more with you. And the other thing is I don't know if you noticed. Certainly from my point of view that. Um, uh, structuring your lunch hour when you're working from home all the time you're quite rigid and you know what your day looks like as soon as you go into the office things change that little bit Nick how's your how are you finding it yeah I mean I've, I've been trying to get in anyway all, all through lockdown really just just trying to do a day or, or two um, some days there was like we've, we've got 180 capacity office and there was like six of us in it that was sort of rattling around but but just I really felt like I needed to get on the train and and go and be, be work me rather than home me um you know with my kids and family and all that around me so um but it's, so it's great now trying to do three days a week uh, the office is much much busier and, and um it just feels like we're getting back to a bit of normality although I should be in the office uh today but my my team was pretty much ruled out with COVID uh, we've got oh. we've got a rule that if you've been in contact with someone you have to go home and isolate and one of my team got it and so he then basically wiped out almost half of my team. And so I, I, there was just no, there's no point in me being there today because no one's in. So I thought I may as well stay at home. Oh, well, it, 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 small, small, small mercies in that. I hope yeah. your team member's feeling better soon. He's, he's um, all right. He's, he's feeling a little, uh, a little embarrassed. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh well you know it's a good rule to have though nick i have to say i think that's absolutely commendable that you know you it's it's protecting others at the end of the day isn't it yeah, indeed indeed excellent um so before we go on i'm going to be asking uh, a, a series of questions to to our guests today um but uh to, before we get into that i just want to sort of get a give a little background here so building a sustainable future is a monumental challenge that affects every one of us in Reddington's video, they share their sustainable investment journey thus far, including how they built and implemented their seven-point climate action plan and integrated sustainable investment practices across their business. They also highlight the importance of asset owners in using their capital to affect positive change for the benefit of people and the planet. So it's a broad, it's a big statement, I have to say, and there's obviously a lot going on behind it. And we'll find out a little bit more about that seven-point climate action plan, which is, you know, really well publicized within the video um but before we get into that uh and i'll come to um anastasia first actually 
Um, why is climate change such a high priority at Reddington's? It's because it's a high priority for the world and we invest in a global economy. I mean, there is a sense now that it might be the most consequential thing we do over the next 30 years, as consequential perhaps as the internet or potentially even the industrial revolution. So if you're thinking about every company in, in on the planet having to go through this transformation, we as, as representatives of asset owners, our clients are asset owners, have to think about that to secure the benefits of their members, both in terms of their financial benefits, but also in terms of the world that they'll retire into. So one can scarcely think of a more important topic at a meta level to talk about. Absolutely. Nick, your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, obviously I agree entirely with, with Anastasia. And, and also it's it's an investment decision too. So ultimately we're an investment advisor. We, we you know we advise pension schemes, wealth managers, et cetera. And the consequences of this from an investment point of view are utterly crucial. And, and being on the right side of this is, is everything in terms of your your savings for, for your retirement. You know, whether whether you have a, a large amount to retire on or whether there's a world worth living in by the time you get there. Um, you know, it, 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 it's sort of it's hard to think of a, of a, of a bigger issue, really. Mm. And I think there's going to come a point, isn't it, where that that crossover from it's a nice thing to do to a, a must have thing to do is coming, you know, where it, it, it's probably one of the most important um, factors in making an investment decision, which is where obviously we're, we're hoping to aim for, I guess. Um, so moving on to uh, the next question, really, what part can Reddington play and what impact do you think you can have? So again, Anastasia, I'll put that to you first. So, you know, before I joined Reddington, I used to I used to work for a large global standard setter called UNPRI. And at the time, we used to say investment consultants are really the missing link here because you know, they, they have the, the investment news as well as the, the understanding of the way a capital allocator thinks to be able to really be multipliers in this market. What I mean by that is, you know, you, you talk to a lot of small schemes who might not have either the expertise or the governance bandwidth to really think about this. If an advisor comes in with a really strong message that you can meet your fiduciary responsibilities from a performance perspective, whilst also making sure that you are, you know, not accruing extra risk in, on the climate side that you're not being paid for, but also making sure that you are potentially looking at the upside of, of climate risk, then that has a real impact. And, you know, interestingly enough, there are about 15 large investment consultants around the world in the markets that use investment consultants that could really change the game if they really got behind this. And in the early years of the space, that just wasn't the case for, you know, Reddington, even though, even before, long before I joined it, was one of the few people talking about this. And I know Nick's team specifically uh, was doing this long, long before it became fashionable. Hmm. Well, Nick, that leads nicely on to you, really. Long before it became fashionable, you were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always, always out of fashion. Oh, yeah, um, yeah um, we, 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 we were sort of investing in renewable infrastructure over a decade ago on, on behalf of our clients. And so we've, we've, it's, been a, it's been an important um, thought in terms of our investment decision making for, for a long time. I think what's, what's nice now is that the world is starting to sort of catch up and We'll, you know, it's important for us to stay ahead as well because it's just from our own sort of business point of view, 
we, we, we want to be seen as the, as the go-to place still for responsible investment. And so we need to continue to evolve and improve and not rest on our own laurels as we, as, as we do that just from a sort of you know, business point of view. Um, but the, the question about influence, I think, is, is, uh, is an important one because it's one that's sort of gradually dawned on us through time. We can sort our own business out quite easily. You know, we're, we're just sort of people in office and computers, a bit of travel. It's easy to go to net zero for Reddington Limited. Um, but then actually we have a massive client book. Uh, that we can influence, um, and and what they what the way that they invest and the, the way that they behave is is um, is obviously within our influence too. So it's important then that we advise our clients on on the right thing to do. But actually, the real big fish is the asset management community that we that we face with because our clients are investing with all of those asset managers. Our our actual footprint there is is pretty small when you think of it globally. But if you're talking to BlackRock, who have a trillion dollars of assets under management and we get BlackRock to do something because we're engaging with them, we're pressuring them, we're lobbying them to do the right thing. That's where we could start to make a real difference. And in the last few years, it's 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 sort of dawned on us a bit really that actually that that is a a key um area for us to 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 focus on. Um, we don't necessarily have to do that alone. So there's um, an investment consultant sustainability working group was was set up um, a year or so ago, we were founding members of that. Um, and so there's there's collaboration now within the, within the industry, which is great. Never seen before, mm. really. You know, we're we're busy sort of competing with each other and you know trying to trying to gouge each other's eyes out, and then suddenly we're all in a room together, going, "How can we work together?" This is brilliant. Um, but but you know, so far it's been it's been good. Mm. So that influence on the outside world is 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 the thing I think that we can we can continue. We have done, but probably can do more to continue to to sort of you know, nudge companies into doing the right thing. And I guess really from that point of view, you're the man to really, you know, who's been through the journey for, for some time. Uh, and uh, and forgive me, Anastasia, as you've been sort of less time at, um, at Reddington's, I guess, but certainly from Nick's point of view, as you say, from, from when it was less fashionable to where we are today, you know, that journey must have been quite... Um, very tricky at some point at some points during the, that uh, that timeline definitely i mean it, even internally you, you know we had people that were, were like well this is this we're talking about ethics here aren't we and and you know there was a few of us that were saying well no it's not it's more no, far than, from it it's, this is not you know and what i think one of the the the, the things that helped was once you started to get pretty good risk analysis on climate change scenarios you know, they that then started it made it an investment decision rather than an ethical decision at that point then you're like hold on okay so i could lose that much money in a slow transition or a fast transition or, or whatever huh right okay I'm, i i i get it now um let's start to let's start to mitigate that risk um and so we got kind of got to that point and then then it's then we've in latter years have been talking about impact so okay right let's mitigate our risks fine but actually, that's only our risks. And what 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 if the what if the world doesn't exist when when you know we, we we've sort of managed our own risks, but we're kind of dying alone on a hill somewhere with some guns and some gold or whatever. You know that that's probably not a great outcome, is it? And so then it's well, okay, how can we be impactful? What's the point of of um, of, of investing impactfully? And and so we've we've kind of brought people along the journey through time. Um, you know, real naysayers, 
have 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 changed their mind on this, but but mainly because of the data and 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 the and the sort of the the risk angle has, has really been the, the the kind of the catalyst, I think. Yeah, amazing. And, and back to you, Anastasia, actually, with the next question, really, which is what strategies have you put in place uh, at Reddington's to to start combating this? Well, I mean, I, I think the the first thing we did was was uh, come as as Nick was describing come to the realization this has to be sitting at the the heart of what we do because it's it's a systems change which means it changes everything from the way our our modeling team looks at risk and shocks to the way of course next team thinks about how we implement some of these strategies to the way the consulting team thinks about giving advice so the first thing that the, the board did was was essentially change our our belief or change our mission which used to be a hundred make a hundred million people financially secure, and they sort of added in April 2020 um, that that for the benefit of people and planet, which I think is a real it it really changes what we are trying to do at 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 Reddington because what it's saying is that the fiduciary duty of meeting returns is really really important but we always have to make sure we do it um, in a risk adjusted way mm. um, and what nick was describing is a real shift i used to work at the united nations principles for responsible investment before i joined reddington and the last decade i've just seen such huge change in the way people think about this and and that big change is and interestingly if you're if you're under a certain age this is very intuitive for some reason, it's a real generational shift. But if you're over a certain age, which many of our trustees uh, large are in that age bracket, the, not the one that gets this intuitively, um, is that we always used to look at this with a risk lens. So what impact is the world having on, on my portfolio and how should I protect my portfolio to mitigate for that? Mm. And what impact investing is by its very nature is looking at what impact is the portfolio having on the world Mm. And can we make that at least neutral, if not positive, as an impact? Mm. And that's a game changer because that's the financing that we we all bemoan that we need for all of these different things that is required to change, to turn things around on climate. And um, one of the key things we've done, as I said, is change the mission and change the very way that we work. Mm. That sounds quite amazing, actually, because obviously where you were saying um, – you know, first of all, you started at board level. So it kind of, you know, it has to start in the boardroom and it filters out through the rest of the business. So that must have been quite a quite a plan to to, to push that message right the way through. But uh, an impressive CV, by the way, Anastasia, thanks for the background. That's great to, you know, so not United Nations to come through to uh, Reddington. So. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I don't know about impressive, but um, I'm sure like Nick, We've been in the wars. Uh, the, the difference is, I think actually the Europeans are quite an enlightened lot, just generally, both the investment managers as well as the asset owners, mm -hmm. by and large. Yes. Uh, some of the conversations you have in Asia and the US can be quite different. Yes, that, that, and certainly the US, I believe, is 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 probably one of the key factors there, isn't it? You know, that's a that's a big shift in in that side of things, isn't it? You know, but you know, I, I guess the UK are, are following Europe, but getting there. Um, and it's probably a little bit of an easier push. Nick, your thoughts on that uh, strategy? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was funny because um, 
it, it was me and a, and a colleague really that were pushing the, the board so we, we were trying to sort of do this from the bottom up and it was like pushing something up a hill you know trying to roll the rock up a hill and, and we thought you know what we just we have to do this the other way around we need to get the board to to agree to it first and I remember going into the board meeting kind of quite nervous actually but but it, it you know they were just like no, yeah no you're right why why haven't we been talking about this before you know you should have been in here before they're like oh okay uh, <laughs> so um it was actually it, it was the right time because i think other people had got to a similar place in their minds already and and it just needed someone to to kick it off and and it, it worked having it from the top down made it made it work um trying to do it as a small little band of brothers, which we felt we were sort of on the floor, it just it just wasn't. We just weren't getting enough attention, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think we're in a good we're in a good place. Um, and and then each each team has has its own angle on on this, as Anastasia was saying, you know. So for, for my team, we're we're tasked with finding the best fund managers around the world for our client base um, to invest with, and and you know, we're, big focus for us is is finding impact strategies now. Um, your existing strategy should be have very strong ESG integration and should be looking to align to a net zero world in the future. But then you might want to add an impact strategy on on, on top of that, um, which is then has a twin objective, the investment return, but but also um, you know a positive impact in in whichever area it's targeting. And so we've been spending a lot of time trying to find those ideas. Across all asset classes over the last over the last two years, really, both private and public, um, you know, uh, equities or or credit um, or renewables, obviously, has been a big focus. So, um, yeah, every, everybody everybody in there at Reddington has this in their objective somewhere. Everybody has some sort of sustainable objective um, that they have to achieve. Which then links to the objectives of the board, I guess, and that's the yeah, exactly. Yeah. So exactly. it's all fantastic so the funnel works that way which yeah. is great to hear um well i guess you know part of those objectives um and it sounds to me that the seven point plan that we we mentioned earlier on is is certainly an area that would probably come into this so um if you uh, anastasia it'd be great to hear a little bit more about the seven point plan and also um is the plan the same for all your clients so let me take the the second half of that question first the answer is yes yeah um, it, it's 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 a, it's the plan is the sorts of things that we think are absolutely important important to do on the way to setting setting a net zero target essentially eventually so the the first bit of the plan is actually objective setting which is very much reddington's thing that you know we we talk about starting or beginning with the end in mind which is where do you want to get to and you know nick was giving a very good example of how things don't work when the board's not involved and that is not reddington that is every single firm regardless of what they do everywhere in the world and the most important thing is just getting a clear direction of what you need um that's the first bit the second bit is the solutions try to think about you know the, the opportunity side of this massive transformation in our global economy because if you don't you i think we're all going to be really missing out if we don't look at look at that and as nick was saying we're investors we you know we're here to generate alpha the, the second uh, the third one is industry frameworks this is a economic global shift this is not going to be done by one particularly smart firm here or a particularly diligent one there this is going to have to be done uh, collectively and we know that there are really no 
clear routes to net zero now. So industry frameworks, we support them. We, we share with our peer networks. And Nick was giving you an example of the, uh, the, the consultants group that, we, that we're very involved with. We're also involved with the global uh, investor group on net zero uh, that's run by Mark Carney. So th these, are, these are things that we support. Stewardship, if you think of the three things that any investor can do <clears throat> on this, it's to invest differently, so the solutions side of things, including impact, as, as Nick was mentioning, to, to divest, so to say, no, no more of this, I can't, I can't deal with the risk. Um, and, and for what you hold, it is to engage, because the world is not aligned to net zero, but one way to get there as owners and lenders to companies is to ask them what they're doing and to get them to align. So the stewardship element is extremely important. That's point number four on our seven point plan. The net zero is default client advice. And to be honest with you, this is the reason I joined Reddington because okay. the seven point plan came up before I, I can't take claim any credit for it. Um, Nick and, and, and lots of others were involved with, what, with this. But when I looked at this from the outside, I thought one of the things with investment consultants was the way they operated their business strategy was that that well ESG sustainability climate change whatever you, word you want to use for it was a thing that you could pay extra for, hmm. and that's not the case for us. In that we will, regardless of your circumstances, we will find you in in your strategic asset allocation a way to get to net zero, and that's sort of like a part of our pledge. So, this is what I mean by you know top down and inside out. Um, Offsetting, this is just, you know, again, just taking corporate responsibility for ourselves. As Nick said, we, we're not huge, we're, we're not, we don't have many headquarters. So this is a small, you know, we're totally cognizant of the fact that this is a drop in the ocean, but we thought it was our duty to, to make sure that our 15 or 16 years of existence is, is neutralized from a carbon perspective. And we've just done that this year. Um, and industry collaborations, you know, just make sure we're constantly sharing everything we learn. And this is not an area for us to compete on. This is for a, an area for us to collaborate with. So that's our seven points. Fantastic. Well, very informative. And thanks for going through those. And very, well, as you say, you know, you, you've bought into Reddington's because you saw that seven point plan, which is fantastic. But I, I do like that point about, you know, the shift from it and having to be an extra cost and added extra to actually it should be business as usual should be you know incorporated in everything that people do i like that really sort of um as a as a cultural piece really more than anything else that you just accept that that is the way forward not extra cost not um you know actually you may get less return because of well you know it's just it, it because it's not gold or arms or whatever as you say quite rightly you know this is strategically the right thing to do for the planet and for people so you know fabulous to hear so thanks for that explanation though it's great to hear uh, and nick obviously i take it you were around whilst that seven point plan was being developed yeah yeah and um it, it was a great sort of collaboration across across the business actually and, and um you know we, we set up a working group within the firm to, to, to sort of figure out what it was that we wanted to um, to do. And yeah, as Anastasia said, it's very Reddington. We love, we love we, the, you know, seven steps we've had before, you know, we, we, the, there's, there's lots of sort of, um, you know, well, well-trodden um, kind of, you know, managerial and, and behavioral uh, influences in, in what we do, you know, we, we, we've sort of, uh, we, we've, we've read every one of those books. So we, 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 we sort of, we have a good idea on how to influence people and and um 
yeah, all of that kind of came to the fore, I guess, when we put that together. Excellent. Fantastic. Right. Well, we'll move on to the next question now, which is, um, uh, can you give us examples of, of plans or actions that you've put in place that sort of support some of these initiatives? I mean, from, from so from my point of view, uh, from the manager research um, team, the um, the second point um, is is on the solutions, and and you know that's been a big focus for 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 my team. So um, you know we've now got funds that are available for our clients to invest in things like uh, renewable infrastructure. So um, not only the kind of original. Um, solar wind that kind of thing but also now energy transition um so funds that can access that uh we're in, about to bring a natural capital to the investment committee so um that's timber and 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 uh and farmland where you're you're, you're changing the the use of of a particular um field for instance and, and making it much more um, impactful we've got uh, solution impact solutions in listed equity, private equity, uh, private debt, uh, credit, listed credit, well, not listed credit, uh, liquid credit. Um, and so across the board, a client can now put together a portfolio that's almost entirely impactful, um, a multi-asset portfolio and, and sort of in regardless of their risk profile. Um, so that's what we've been working on, for instance, um, in within our team. Um, and that's our kind of influence on that seven point plan, along with the stewardship, as, as, I, as I mentioned before, clearly the, the stewardship angle is important. So we assess asset managers on their stewardship capabilities. So our clients know who are the good ones, who are the less good ones. Um, but we're also then doing our own version of stewardship with the asset manager community and, and sort of talking to them about what we expect to, to see from them, where they can improve, um, be it climate related, be it um, diversity or um you know, corporate governance or, or, or whatever it may be, there's, there's, there's various aspects that, that we talk to the asset management community about. So, um, yeah, they're the areas that my team get involved with. Plenty of examples there and real life examples. Anastasia, any examples from your team? Sure. So I work across all, all the teams uh, at, at Reddington. I'm teamless. But ah. um, I, I think we could, you know, I can pick off the others. So in terms of objective setting, this is really key. This is, as you can imagine, this is where it all starts. Typically, we used to have these, you know, Reddington Loves dashboards. So here are the things that you're looking to do in the next X period. And, you know, we have a red, amber, green rating on it. Well, we've started to put across the board uh, some climate objectives in there. So whether it's uh, allocations objectives, uh, i.e., you know, X percentage of the portfolio, in, in climate allocations, which is quite an advanced thing to do, um, or it's it's some sort of risk uh, risk metric. Um, it's it's really interesting to see that because now all of our consultants and lead consultants can say this additional uh, this change in strategy will either accrue this much climate risk or decrease your climate risk by that much. So you can start to see the trade offs, which is absolutely what's important in these trustees. Uh, decisions so that even when climate is not the main consideration you can see what impact it has uh on on your on, on your on your carbon profile or on, on the profile of your emissions of the of the of the portfolio so that's really important as i was saying you know the industry frameworks and the collaboration this is something that we are doing more and more of just because you know we we typically have a lot of clients who do 
um, de-risking and therefore have all these asset classes that they just have to hold. And at the moment, some of those asset classes are out of scope for a lot of things. But we know, for instance, I mean, to say that the U UK is guilt uh, are zero carbon, which we have to, for accounting purposes, assume at the moment, is like saying because uh, Shell is committed to net zero by 2050, they're, they're currently zero carbon. So you can see that there are, there are issues with that. So we, we have to work towards helping our clients get the correct uh, you know, get their correct um, impressions of, of from their portfolio. So that's really important. And, and I think lastly, um, this default client advice, you know, if I was to, this, this is still an aspiration, you know, we're getting there, but we're not there yet. And by, by that, I mean, you know, because of all sorts of different types of clients, we really have to take everyone along with us on this journey. And in some instances right now, net zero is really, it's a really, really tough thing to do mm. um, it, it, because the, the world is not on a net zero trajectory. So uh, to, to get a portfolio to net zero, you're, you're having to make some really hard decisions. Some of those decisions you're not able to make. So making sure that, that we sort of have those conversations with our clients is still an ongoing exercise, but, um, uh, but an important one. Yeah, definitely. That's a really important point to note as well, isn't it? That you're, you're, it's a chilling fact, really, that the world is not on a trajectory to net zero. And that's the that that's the critical comment, I think, that you've just made there. Unless something changes and continues to change in that in in this um, journey that we're on, it, it, we won't get there. And that that's really important. So you know, carbon neutral net fifty by 2050 doesn't exist until everything changes does it you know i think that's really quite well it, it's chilling but it's not you know it, it does mean that people are working hard to get towards that so i think that's really important to note but thank you for that answer that's great um now uh so why is this so important to you both both professionally and actually personally, because I, 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 you know, I think that our listeners would be really keen to understand, you know, what what motivates a person to get into a role that they feel so passionately about. So I'm going to start with Anastasia for this one, because uh, so, um, you know, professionally, I, I, you know, you've you've given such a a very emotive, um, you know, set of statements that we've gone through. But personally, you know, what why does it mean so much to you? So interestingly enough, I started my career 12 months before the financial crisis, uh, the global financial crisis, and um, as an analyst at Fidelity Equities, and realized quite quickly that I, it just wasn't my bag. And over the next two years, did various things. Mm. Um, I, went, I was in Brussels for a conference, and I, I met the executive director of the, of the UNPRI, and he told me about ESG, and it was the first time I'd actually, this is sort of, 2009, this first time I'd actually uh, heard of many of the phrases um, that, that he was using. And even to someone sort of quite green at the time, it was very clear that this has got to be the, the road ahead. And he, he sort of offered me a job fairly quickly uh, into that conversation and I took it. Um, and I worked for a decade, really watching this space at a global level just grow and grow, frankly, beyond our wildest imagination. Mm. Um, what used to be a collection of quite, um, you know, large, very large global pension schemes that were looking very much at collaborating on stewardship. That's really where it came out of to this 
extremely different, very large um, uh, sort of essentially at the moment, I think the UNPRI has a 140 trillion assets under management, which is we think to or we assume it's two thirds of the investable universe. So essentially the whole world is signed up. Wow. Um, and that was really, really interesting. But what I realized along the way is that in those early days, the fact that you were doing this meant that you were committed. Mm. Halfway through that journey, uh, a, a lot of business and commerciality took over the market. Mm. Um, in those days, it was a career risk to talk about these things. So anyone who was doing it was probably in it. <laughs> now it's much more difficult to tell. And of course, the dreaded greenwashing, which has been going on for a while, it is real. It's real. I think it's less real than perhaps, especially in Europe, it's less real than people think it is, because I think the intentions are there, but maybe the actions are not. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be around retirement age in 2050. So when people say this is for future generations, no, it's it's for me. Mm. I'm, I'm an old millennial. So uh, a geriatric millennial, apparently, is what I'm supposed to be called. Oh. So, um, so I, I, I just feel like this is here and now. You know, we've just had ten days of three storms, one of which was the largest uh, that we've had in a long time. I mean, this is not normal stuff. Um, people see that. No, and I think you know it, it's interesting, really. You know, because oh, you know, it's not been too bad this winter. And then you get into the summer and you've suddenly got 35 degree temperatures in, at Heathrow Airport. And that's not normal, really isn't. You know, it's it's a crazy situation to get yourself into. And at the same time, you know, I think we all saw the benefits through lockdown, didn't we? Where airplanes weren't traveling, you know, the, the pollution was less and all the rest of it. But that was just, that wasn't a reset. That was a temporary glitch, was never going to get us to a point where we would then go on that, net zero trajectory but yeah so I, I would never call you a geriatric uh millennial though anastasia i think that's a terrible phrase <laughs> it is the technical term i don't mind being a geriatric millennial but it is the technical term <laughs> <laughs> oh moving on to nick nick obviously you know you've, you've been in the game for a while yourself as well you know tell us a little bit about why you get up in the morning to do this yeah it's um it's taken me a while so Anastasia was on this far far earlier than I was um I, it was probably more around sort of 2015 or so that I think initially the concept of ESG felt like it was just sort of a bit of a thematic which you you tended to get in in investment markets every every so often that there'd be a you know a kind of an investing theme that everybody latched onto and typically it was the wrong time you bought bought at the top and then it lost you money so I was a bit sort of skeptical on, on the concept and it was just a couple of colleagues I think really who who were very passionate about it who who just kept at it and and sort of won me over really and and once once I was won over it's it, it you know it, it all started to to make a lot of sense and um you could see that actually we had a real role to play here and we could make a difference um and I, you know, I have sort of post-crisis being in finance is is not necessarily a kind of a, a, a very cool place to be. People look at you and think, "Oh, you're one of the bankers that brought down the, um, you know, the, the economy." And 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 they're, they're, even though we're investment consulting and somewhat peripheral to that, to 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 the sort of un, uninitiated, you could get lumped in with with those those sorts of people. And actually, you know, here's here's us doing something good right I mean, this is this is positive stuff and 
um and, and it and it just it really helps you um it gives you a purpose ultimately and and you know you need a purpose to to get up in the morning and um and, and do what you you want you know you you do um and particularly having kids uh, as i as i do you start to think about them more than yourself and um what their future is going to look like and um it just it just changes your your mindset really it just it lengthens your your mindset a lot and um and and you know if 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 i have some sort of role to play in in making the the planet aligned to net zero then then that'll be that'll be brilliant i i can i can sort of retire happy and um you know i, I can do that and you know my kids my, my, it's very difficult to, to explain my role to my children so when they ask me like what do you do daddy i just say i'm, I'm saving the world and they're like okay that that would that would do for me that'll do for me and they say presumably they're going to tell their friends at school that, that my dad saves the world so yeah, i'm happy with that <laughs> i'd say that i would love to be able to say that to uh, that is just a fabulous way of putting things but you know great you know you in whatever part you you play i think that's just absolutely commendable from that point of view and you can see the motivation and you know i'm you know speaking personally and you know my uh my granddaughter who is seven months old is in the other room as we're speaking and you just look into her eyes and you know she gives you a big smile and all the rest of it and but she doesn't know what we know and if we don't fix it she's going to walk into that world that's going to be uh, not what how we remember it even 50 years ago you know it, it's just not a great place to be so thanks for those answers it's great to get an insight into the people you know i think that's really important um so moving on how does reddington help others in the sector you mentioned obviously you know where you do partner and and, and you know influence and you know um, um, lobby various other um, investment uh, companies etc but you know how do you help Anastasia, I'll point that one to you. Sure, I, I do think Nick is 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 well placed to answer this as well because I think, as I was saying, you know, we we sit in the middle of those who own own the capital or mm. run the capital on behalf of the beneficiaries and those who put the capital to work. And both, you know, in in many ways, you know, whilst our clients, the ones who pay us, are are the trustees. Actually, the investment managers, we do have a massive influence over them. So if, if, if I were to sort of think about how we help them, it's hold them to account. I'm now talking about the, the fund managers, but also give them a sense of what good looks like. And I know what good looks like is evolving. And that includes sort of being relatively uncomfortable for them to be relatively uncomfortable about what, what we're suggesting. And I'll give you an example. And Reddington... Um, is one of the founding signatories of what is called the Asset Owner Diversity Project. And what that is essentially saying is fund managers, you need to get your own shop in order. So you need to have representation from all underrepresented groups uh, and those with protected characteristics in all parts of your uh, of your um, organizational hierarchies. And, and that's the sort of thing that we, we need to do more of across different different issues so that in a way it's, it's a it's a very clear ask and perhaps there's patience in them getting there but there's doggedness in us watching where that goes because our biggest influence is is through is through them but I'll let Nick 
um, talk more about that. Please do, Nick. Oh. Yeah, so the, the, the other thing I'd, I'd highlight is the, the, the um, Sustainable Investment Survey, which, we, which we, we run every year. So we survey the asset management community on a number of different ESG-related um, factors. Um, and the last couple of years, we've been publishing the results of that. And you, you can go on our website and, and find it um, pretty easily, the, the, the 2021. But what, what, what that does is the, the act of asking those questions and, and the, the question, each year the questions, uh, the, free, the, the, the quantity of the questions goes up, but also um, how hard they are to answer as well. Mm-hmm. So particularly on things like um, diversity, asset managers just aren't even um, calculating some of the things that we're asking. We, and we kind of knew that that was the case, but unless you ask the question, they're not going to go back to base and go, huh, we've just been asked this and we don't even have the answer to that we, we need to by next year we need to be able to answer this and it just triggers off um things that that, that will then happen in those in those firms mm. um and so something like net zero uh, alignment you know last year uh the number was at 30 something percent this year it was at 60 something percent hopefully by the by the time we do it do this uh, this year's survey we're up you know 80s 90s or something like that and you mm. can start to track the um the progress but also it's that it's that frame of reference then for the for, for other asset managers to go wow we're really out of place here you know we, mm. we're one of the only asset managers that don't do this thing mm. according to reddington and it just it helps them pull their socks up mm. um and it's just a way of us shining the light back to them um you know, we 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 want to use carrot and stick with with this stuff. So we're not going to necessarily tell them that we're going to withdraw client capital straight away if they don't improve or whatever. But we will be saying, look, you are behind here. Here's the facts. This is the facts. You are behind, and this is a way for you to, you know, we're going we're, we're going to allow you a certain period of time to get get up to industry standards, um, or or we're going to have to take our ratings away and take our client capital away. Mm. That's, that, that's incredible. You have the data and the facts in front of you. It's very hard, and so that's been a really key kind of process for us to go through. But that's the shift you need to. You both have really described, isn't it? Where you you need to take them further past that comfort zone to say, well, actually, you on. Whereas ten years ago, you were in the majority of people who weren't doing anything. Now you're in the minority. Yeah, and you actually will suffer as a result because you know it, it and it, you only have to go down to client level to understand don't you really that clients don't want this sort of stuff but they don't understand it well enough to know where to invest and of course without that, that again this goes back to the greenwashing that anastasia brought up earlier on it's important to get that education piece across as well and that's where your research helps because it it really makes a difference so understanding is there any particular questions that you, you you mentioned questions that are having difficulty on um answering is there anything in particular at the moment that that fund managers find particularly difficult to answer yeah i mean we, we ask questions about their staff and um you know the, the the racial profile um the educational profile the uh, lgbtq all of this sort of stuff and so you know not that many have even even compiled this stuff um gender pay gap we asked for again the numbers aren't that great in terms of the number of firms that that produce that um so there's there's it, it feels to me like if if we use this sort of esg acronym um, there's been a lot of they've always asset managers always focused on governance um it's just always been a thing that they did 
Mm. And in a way, having the G in there doesn't, I don't think, always helps these, these discussions. The E has clearly been a focus for the last few years, mm. particularly the particularly over COVID. I think it's been it's been very strong. And so you're starting to see action. We're not necessarily got results, but we're starting mm. to see action and, and things happening. And then on the S, you know, that that has been that has been laggard really. And so that's where um, that's where companies have got a lot more work to do still. Um, and, and, you know, that that is a focus for for us as well, because, you know, we, we talk about just transition. You know, it's important to, yes, let's have a let's make sure that the economy moves to 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 a green economy. But let's make sure that people aren't, um, you know, completely um, ostracized in, 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 the, in the process of doing that. Um, that. That is an absolutely fascinating observation. And I must admit, I think our audience would always think in this in terms of carbon neutral rather than um as you say the s is the social part of this is not um as well focused upon as it should be so thank you well that, that's interesting your research will bear that out so obviously i'd encourage anybody listening to this to 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 go and seek you out on your website and i'm sure do, do you publish that that data on your website we, we publish a report yeah we with yeah. The, the sort of the raw data we um we, we keep for ourselves but we, we sort yes. of bring out the important bits and there's lots of charts and things in there which are which which will you know a lot of people find interesting i'm sure definitely thank you for that I, that well i certainly encourage the audience to go and, and look that out definitely um what advice would you have for advisors who want to take action for their clients um are you talking about financial advisors i guess financial what? advisors for this particular question yeah yeah i mean it's a, it's a really it's a really interesting question because of course when you're not talking to an institutional client you have to think about Again, the risk appetite there. It's it's really important to know what that your client thinks about this and their view of the world. Um, but it's also imperative that you make sure that all the returns that you are seeking are risk adjusted, so that you do not get you don't take on risk that you're not being paid for, and that includes climate risk and other sustainability factors if they matter to your to your clients and and this is at the heart of everything so if you're going to take on what looks like a you know a really interesting um sort of broad index exposure know what you're holding there and how quickly things can can change um especially in this world that we live in where the geopolitics etc seems to you know you know seems to be sort of constantly changing uh, asset prices and asset values. And we seem to be seeing a structural shift as well uh, in terms of what, what's gone on for the last 15 years. Um, and so, yes, think about risk-adjusted returns. It's absolutely imperative. You directly ask your clients what they think about their sustainability preferences. Definitely. Nick, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've, I, 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 what, I've, what I've seen is um, a sort of a bit of a, a misconception between reducing carbon today and the transition from here to 2050. So you can create yourself a, a low carbon portfolio right now. Um, it's probably not a very nice looking portfolio. It's probably very expensive You're, and it's probably not very well diversified. And actually that's not really that helpful for anybody. Um, and so the, the mistake I think I've seen um, advisors make and there's sort of quite influential lobbying groups out there as well that are kind of pushing um savers to to sort of beat their pension providers up with um about lowering their carbon output today mm. 
it's not about that. We we all need to get to a, a, this place, but we've we need to you know we need to reduce by half by twenty thirty, and then get to the end by twenty fifty. It's a it's a journey. We all need to be on the journey, and and trying to sort of solve it right here right now is is just not going to work. Mm. And that, I've seen people try and make that mistake. Um, and and so that would be that would be my advice. It's not about having a low carbon portfolio today. It's about having one that's going to get there in the future. Definitely. Thank you for that. Uh, and sort of um, tripping along that theme, and obviously, you know, we've we've touched on this a couple of times already uh, about the being reaching net zero by twenty fifty. So we've we've already established that you know, left alone, we're not. It, it's not you know, net zero is not um, tracking correctly. But what are the prospects of getting there? I mean, that, you know, because we're we're two questions away from the end here, and I just wanted to sort of lighten it a little bit because you could you could get embroiled in doom and gloom here, and things not looking. And don't get me wrong, you know, we know that this is a particularly difficult challenge, but there must be some real sort of prospect, positive prospects out there that you've seen that you think actually this is working and this is what's going to get us there. So Anastasia, for you first, you know, what 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 brightens your day when you think actually we are moving towards this? John, you've really picked the wrong person to start with on positivity on that question. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a climate scientist, but I, I uh, live and breathe this stuff. And yeah. I'm really sorry to tell everyone that we are not going to hit uh, 1.5 by 2050. Now, what that it's not it's not doom and gloom. That is not doom and gloom. But because we we will probably stay within two degrees. And what I mean by that is and I don't want to go into a, a, a sort of biochemistry lesson here, but the amount of carbon that we've pumped into the atmosphere already has tipped us into a situation where it's highly unlikely, unless we can produce a Apple in the mobile division size, sort of innovative change or transformation uh, to be essentially what, what is called direct air capture, which is taking the carbon from the air, making it into a liquid and pumping it into, um, in, in, into the, the rocks beneath us in in on um, in lots of different parts of the world, which is an extremely expensive, really unscalable at the moment technology. Mm. It is highly unlikely we're going to hit 1.5. Now, what that means is that it doesn't mean the end of the planet. It simply means that some of our physical risks uh, for some types of assets and certainly some geographies will increase as they already have. I mean, who would have thought parts of Northern Germany would be flooded in mm -hmm. 2021? I mean, that's not where you would normally see. It's not an island nation, is it? No. Um, so, so I think that, you know, that sort of thing will increase. But I do think that missing those targets is probably a good thing in many ways because we need a jolt. And we're going to get some jolts along the way, and that's probably going to spur action, and, and we will be fine. You know, even if we were to hit two degrees in 2100, my youngest child, who is going to be in her early 80s uh, in 2100, is, um, we'll still have a great world to live in, but we'll have to work pretty hard to, to get there. Yeah, it's an interesting point in what you raise about your youngest child, and um, you know, I read a statistic, uh, it's probably about a few years ago now, that the, the first 130-year-old uh, person is alive today. Um, they've just not got to that point yet. So, you know, obviously our technology is allowing people to live longer, but in what state will they live, I guess, is the, the, the interesting fact. But obviously, so potentially, 
you know, as you say, by by 2100, you know, we, we are in a position where, yes, it will be, you know, change will have happened. We, we'll learn to live with it, um, but it's not ideal. And, you know, technology is not scalable, but there is potential, you know, what technology is like. Um, it was only 120 years ago that the Wright brothers took flight. And yet here we are going to the Mars, I suppose. So, I, I, you know, there, there, there is prospects for it, but I, I totally, totally understand um your concern there as well anastasia because as you say you know that i think that's interesting actually that jolt that you mention is a is um exactly what everybody needs isn't it really you know take them to that point um nick your thoughts on that well i mean i i would listen to anastasia she's 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 the expert on that far far more than me i mean i i am sort of an optimist by nature and i think the, the momentum that we the we collectively, the sort of the investment industry, the financial industry, is is has started to to gather um, is you know is great, and I and I think if that if we can maintain that, I feel like we'll get there. I'm far more skeptical skeptical on governments and um, their you know we need them on board as well, and we need we need this isn't going to happen without some good regulation and some brave decision making from from governments, and you know without getting political. I have very little faith in 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 ours or, or any of the major um, G7 nations doing doing this doing the right thing at the moment. So that's that's probably where my worry is. Um, I, I you know I, I do feel like the um, the kind of the corporate sector is 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 getting its head around it at, at pace actually. So I'm you know, I'm quite optimistic from from that point of view. I, I guess going back to my flight um, analogy, when you look at governments who you know, like NASA, for instance, putting flight, uh, putting space flight on, you know, and, and taking small steps at a time and what have you, and but government budgets then restricting things happening. You put it in commercial hands, all of a sudden things leap forward. And I think that, I guess that's what you're saying really, Nick, is that that commercial aspect will be the one that leads it rather than it being led by government so much. There's just always politicization of things. So there's, a, there's an infrastructure bill trying to go through the US at the moment you know everybody has their own interests they're worried about getting re-elected and uh, and you know they're, they're in a state that happens to have lots of fossil fuels so they're not going to vote for it and mm. you know all of this sort of stuff is just is is just not helpful at all we have the same in this country with with you know backbenchers on our current government don't don't believe even still in climate change you think wow um china china you know committed to 2060 um, not 2050 like so so there's there's always just too many um too many uh, you know influences on on political decision making whereas at the corporate level you just you, you know if, if it's not if it's not the right thing for that company then it's not going to happen and and we're in we're at that point now where you have to do this in order for your own company to survive so it's it's not it's not even a kind of decision as to as to should we it's like when 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 do we do this you know for the corporates uh, maybe the governments will get there as well at some point but just at the moment they're not no thanks for that um final question you'll be pleased to know we're nearly at the end of these now and obviously you, you'd expect us as an educational body to be asking you something on education uh, and so really my final question to you and i'll start with anastasia on this is what are you doing to educate um your customers and your your partners to help drive consumer behavior is that do you have programs of education or is there anything that you, you post or you you publish or share uh, from an educational point of view so we we don't do a lot with consumers directly no. but what we what we do is make 
everything that we do pretty open source. So, you know, from our discussions to, as Nick was saying, this, these big surveys, which, you know, everything is out there in, in our sort of in the public domain, because we think that anyone, you know, whether it's a student or it's somebody trying to think about case studies on how to think about particular asset classes or particular types of strategies, or, or even, you know, events um, in, in the markets and how that impacts this agenda. I mean, we're always putting sort of our little bit of helping the collective knowledge uh, increase. And I think given what we do, that's probably appropriate. Yeah, definitely. Nick, yourself? Yeah, we, we you know, we, we, we're always at industry events and, and sort of non-industry as well, where we can, um, getting our message out there, talking about, you know, what, what we're up to, um, both at the Reddington level, but also then the advice that we're giving our clients. Um, so, you, you know, it's, it's a constant, constant message posting on social media. We do an awful lot as well to try and get the message out there. Um, but as Anastasia says, we're, we're a B2B company, not B2C. So there's only, you know, there's only so far that we can go into, into, into reaching the sort of the end customer. Um, but we try and enable our clients to then be able to go back down to their, their clients or their beneficiaries and, and, you know, give them the tools to then talk about it too. Well, what, all I can say for, for, for this recording is how educational this has been. Certainly for me, I've learned an awful lot from you both. And, and I know that our listeners and, and those that have come to the, the, the video that you've recorded recently um, will really take an awful lot away from this. And, and your insights have been invaluable. I just want to thank you both. So Nick Samuels and Anastasia Guha, thank you so much this afternoon for, for um, spending some time with us. Um, so this has been uh, John Sunville, Head of Financial Services at the London Institute of Banking and Finance. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again on the next edition. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our qualifications, training and upcoming events, then go to libf.ac.uk. We also have other podcast channels that dive into topics like trade finance, financial advice, fintech and more. You can find all of them at lrbf.ac.uk forward slash podcasts.